0: Let's turn to Mark 16. We're going to start in in verse 17 today. Mark 16, verse 17 says, And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. And if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. Now, these verses are are probably the most controversial uh, here in Mark's account. These two verses, verses seventeen and eighteen are you only find them here in Mark. You don't find them in in matthew twenty eight you don't find them in in the other accounts. A lot of Bibles will have a note saying that from verse nine to the end of the chapter that they cast doubt on whether those verses belong there. And so that's one of the kind of the easy out on some of these verses is just to say, oh, well, those verses were added in later and they don't belong there anyway. Um, of course, I, I hope you know that's not the proper way to treat the word of God. Let's look up at verse 15 just to get the context again. So he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. And then it says these signs shall follow them that believe. And here again is where we can see a distinction between what what these disciples here are commissioned to go and do and what's going to be associated with their preaching of the gospel and what we see later on in Paul's epistles okay so so they are told that these are the signs that are going to follow them that believe as they go out into the world as they preach the gospel as people are believe, believe and are baptized these signs are going to follow them that believe now a sign points to something and in this case these things are are signs of belief these are the things that they should expect to follow belief, Uh, casting out devils, speaking in new tongues, taking up serpents. Uh, If they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They'll lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. This gave them something if if they were to, you know, if there were people who were claiming to be believers, but these signs weren't evident, then that would be an indication that they weren't really believers because these signs, it, it says these signs shall follow them that believe. Now, there's no indication here that these would just be temporary uh, or anything like that. It's, you know, these things are linked here to this... Commission. Now, the fact that the other gospel writers do not include these things shouldn't cast any doubt on it. Remember that there's many cases where one gospel will have a detail that the others leave out. That's because these gospels, none of them are intended to be a, a, a comprehensive, exhaustive history of what Jesus did and said, right? Each of them are written for, for specific purposes, and they each reveal just a little bit different aspect of who Christ was. Uh, So the fact that these things don't appear in the other gospels shouldn't cause us to doubt their validity. Um, It's just Mark here is including a detail that the others were not inspired to include. And what we see with these signs when we get into the early chapters of the book of Acts and, and really all through the book of Acts, we see these signs following those that believe. For instance, the speaking with new tongues. Remember that uh, on on the day of Pentecost, for instance, um, those disciples, the the Holy Spirit is given there, and they begin to speak in new tongues. Um, Later on, when Peter is sent to Cornelius' household, a Gentile, and up to that point no Gentile had demonstrated these these signs up till Acts 10, uh, Peter Peter uh, goes there to Cornelius, and the evidence to Peter that Cornelius and his household had believed was that they spoke with tongues. And, And if you remember that account, in fact, go over there to Acts chapter 10, we'll just read it instead of me telling you about it. In Acts chapter 10, Peter preaches his message there to Cornelius, and in verse 44... It says, while Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word. And they of the circumcision which believed were astonished as many as came with Peter because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. Well, how did they know that the gift of the Holy Ghost was poured out? For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then answered Peter, can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? Now, if you remember on the day of Pentecost, um, Peter told them to repent and be baptized and they would receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And early in the book of Acts, that is the order that you see. They believed, they, they, believe, they repented, um, they were baptized with water and then they received the Holy Ghost. Here in Acts 10, you see that order change a little bit and there's some changes that are taking place here in the middle chapters of the book of Acts. And here the, the water baptism that previously had preceded the giving of the Holy Spirit and, and these signs, uh, here Peter adds it after the fact. I mean, Peter's reasoning is they're already speaking with the Holy Ghost. Is there any reason why we, why we shouldn't baptize them? And so you see these signs evident. I mean, if there's any doubt that that's a part of that commission there in Mark and that those verses belong there, just read the book of Acts and you see those signs evident. But, When you get it from, you know, from chapter nine through the end of the book of Acts, these signs become less emphasized. All right. And especially when you read the epistles, for instance, that Paul writes during that Acts period, you see the emphasis taking, taken off of those signs and they no longer are presented as a sign that somebody had believed. They're no longer presented as the things that will follow them that believe. And in fact, The, the scripture that's written during that period talks about how at least, at least certain of those signs would go away altogether. I mean, it mentions certain of them specifically. But, but understand that all of these signs go together, right? All of them go together. The, the uh, speaking in tongues, the, um, casting out devils, the laying hands on the sick and them recovering. These are signs that were to be taken together and what does the scripture say about signs? It says that the Jews require a sign, right? These signs are all focused primarily on Israel. Even with Cornelius, when it, when it takes place with a Gentile, it's to show something to Peter, who is an apostle of the circumcision of Israel, right? and And so, when we get into the middle of the book of Acts, as the emphasis is taken off of Israel, the emphasis is also taken off of the signs, and yet God takes these signs that that you know really rightfully have a place with Israel, and He does them among the Gentiles uh, so that so that you see again all of these things that previously were with Israel, you see them taking place among the Gentiles as well and the reason for that was because, remember that all through the Old Testament, God had been dealing with Israel. All through the four Gospels, he'd been dealing with Israel. The early part of the book of Acts, it's Israel, Israel, Israel. And God has to clue them in that something new is going on. And so he takes these things that that you know they knew had to do with them, and he does them among the Gentiles. So he does it with Cornelius to tell Peter, that now there's no difference, right? And that's the lesson that Peter learns there in Acts chapter 10. Uh, He recounts it later on. Go to Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15 and verse 7. Uh, They're disputing here about the issue of circumcision, whether the Gentiles have to get circumcised. And after there's been all kinds of argument, Peter stands up. Verse 7 says, when there had been much disputing, Peter rose up and said unto them, men and brethren, ye know how that a good while ago God made choice among us that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, which knoweth the hearts, bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as he did unto us. Right, He'd been giving it to Israel previously. He says, here God bore them witness. He did these things with them. And verse 9 says, And put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. And concerning circumcision and, and the keeping of other elements of the law, he says, Now therefore, why tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear, but we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved even as they okay and so god begins to do these things among the gentiles not really as a continuation of that commission there in mark but but to show there's something changing all right because imagine that you're a jewish believer there in the first century and all of a sudden this guy paul shows up and he starts saying that god's setting aside israel and he's dealing with the gentiles and you know all of this He's talking about things that aren't anywhere in the Old Testament. He's talking about this mystery that he says was kept secret, kept hidden, God. What is there that's going to prove to you that this is really a genuine message? Paul says it was that the signs of an apostle were wrought among us. And so all of these things that God promised to do with these circumcision apostles he does with the apostle of the, of the uncircumcision, the apostle Paul, so that, for instance, Paul's shipwrecked on, a, on an island and he's reaching to get some, some wood out of the wood pile to throw on the fire and a serpent bites him. And all the natives are watching for him to fall over dead and he shakes it off into the fire and he doesn't die. And, you know, I don't know what kind of snake it was, but apparently the natives there thought he should die because when he didn't, they thought he was a god. Right? They, they recognize that power there that that serpent didn't bother him. Um, you know, the, the healings and all of these various things you have going on throughout the book of Acts, first with Israel and then later with the Gentiles to show Israel that this, this new message that's going out about there being no difference between Jew and Gentile is really valid. But once you get there among the Gentiles, You see those things gradually being phased out. There comes a point where if, you know, if the Israelites haven't acknowledged that it's God working among the Gentiles, you know, there's nothing that's going to convince them. And so he does those things. He duplicates those things temporarily in the Gentile church as a sign back to Israel about these new things that are going on. But eventually they're phased out. And in fact, the, the place where Paul writes most about these sign gifts uh, is in the book of First Corinthians. Now, remember that the church at Corinth was a carnal church. So understand that these gifts were not a sign; they were not a sign of spiritual maturity. Uh, even even there in Mark, it doesn't say these signs shall follow you know, them that that have grown to maturity in the faith. It says, these signs shall follow them that believe. Okay, so certainly with Cornelius, I mean, it's the moment he gets saved, he starts speaking in tongues. It's not, he didn't have to get spiritually mature before those things were evident. It was just, it just, you know, happened immediately. And here at Corinth, um uh, Their, what their carnality did was even though those gifts were being phased out, even though those signs were becoming less and less prevalent, the Corinthians were putting more and more emphasis on them. And they were looking at those, at those signs as being the, the, uh, signs of, of maturity. And Paul writes to them and part of what he does in, in uh, chapters 12 and 13 and 14 Part of what he does there is to regulate their use of these signs and and especially speaking in tongues and prophecy. Now, prophecy isn't something that was mentioned there in Mark, but that goes along with it as well. Uh so that for instance 1 Corinthians chapter 14 is almost all restricting the use of those signs. The apostle Paul tells them they're not supposed to use them unless there's somebody that can they're not supposed to speak in tongues unless there's somebody that can interpret. Uh it's not just their their worship service is not just to be sort of a free for all, but there should be a limited number of people that are going to that are going to prophesy, that are going to speak and they should take turns to do it. Now, if Paul has to tell them that, that gives you a glimpse of what they were doing before Paul gave them that instruction. You know, it was like I say, just kind of a, a free for all. Um, he he puts a restriction on women, for instance, speaking in tongues and prophesying in the church. He, these these various restrictions that he places there. And what happens today is, you know, there are churches that will look at the instructions, for instance, in Mark 16, and because they think that. Commission defines what they ought to be doing today. They're trying to generate those same things. But because they've been, like I say, they've been phased out. They're not, it's not what God is, is doing today. They're having to generate those things in their flesh and they wind up really in the same place that the Corinthians were. And if they were to even, you know, even believing that those things were legitimate for today, if they were to follow the instructions that Paul gives for the use of speaking in tongues, for instance, it, 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 they wouldn't be able to generate that. But, but I want you to look at some things that Paul writes before he gets to those restrictions and, and regulations on the use of speaking in tongues, for instance. Um, I want you to notice what he, what he says at the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and then into chapter 13. So at the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the Apostle Paul, he's describing the body of Christ, and these various ministries within the body of Christ. And he lists also some of these miraculous gifts. Uh, If you see in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 27, he says, Now ye are the body of Christ, and members in particular. And God hath set some in the church, first apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, governments, diversities of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles, have all the gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret? Now I'll tell you, there is one false teaching out there that says that if you have not spoken in tongues, you're not saved. Okay, And they would, they would point back to like Cornelius, where that was the evidence to Peter that uh, Cornelius was saved. And they'll try and apply that today. This verse makes it clear that's a, a false teaching. And it was a false teaching even when there was speaking in tongues here at Corinth. Because Paul asks, do all speak with tongues? And it's a rhetorical question. The obvious answer, answer is no, all don't speak with tongues. Right. So he lists these various things, and, and these things were legitimately taking place still at Corinth, but he makes it clear not every one of these things is going to be evident with every person, and he also makes it clear that there's a sort of a hierarchy or a ranking of these various activities within the church. You see in verse 31, it says, "...but covet earnestly the best gifts." and yet show I unto you a more excellent way. He says, covet earnestly the best gifts, which means some are better than others. Now, if you go back to his list that he gave in verse 28, you can see he's giving them in the order that that they rank. He's putting the best gifts up in front. Uh, he says, God has set some in the church, first apostles and these apostles, you know, we maybe think of the, the 12 apostles and the apostle Paul, uh, you know, they were apostles of Jesus Christ in the sense that they were sent specifically by Christ. I mean, Christ met with them and commissioned them to go. That's what we're seeing with, with uh, you know, Peter and those circumcision apostles in Mark. We talked about Paul's apostleship uh, in a previous lesson. So he said some of the church first apostles, I realize there are other people in the Bible, that are called apostles. Besides them, uh, there's there's passages. It's it's kind of sometimes the word is used sort of in in passing. But men like Barnabas, uh, Timothy. I believe there's a passage where Timothy is referred to as an apostle. Now, they're apostles in a different sense than what Paul or Peter would have been apostles. Uh, the Lord Jesus Christ did not, you know, physically speak to Timothy, for instance, uh, to make him an an apostle as he did with. Paul or with Peter, but Timothy was still a sent one. That's what an apostle is. He was a sent one. He's sent out with that uh, with that message and and with God's word. Um, so you see, it says God has set some in the church first apostles, then it says secondarily prophets, and um, prophecy is to speak the word of the Lord. Now remember, in this early church, they don't have the completed word of God. It, it's In fact, when Paul's writing here to the Corinthians, uh, they would have had very, very few of the books of the New Testament. Uh, At that specific church at Corinth, it's hard to tell what they would have had um, by that point. So in the absence of the completed word of God, God would give prophetic messages directly to people in the church so that when they came together, it wasn't to to you know hear a message from the completed word of God, but God would directly give a message. That's also one of the things that Paul puts some restrictions on. He talks about other people judging what the prophet says to make sure you know, that it's confirmed with them that it really is of God. Uh, so you can see why that would be a prominent gift there in the church. Then thirdly, it says teachers... So you see those as, as the ones that are up there at the top, the best gifts, uh, apostles, prophets, and teachers. After that, miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, governments, diversities of tongues. So when he says covet earnestly the best gifts, you see what he's doing? He's, he's placing the emphasis on these things that, that reveal truth, not the things that might be more showy or, or, um, you know, be, be things people might be drawn to in their flesh. And not only that, verse 31, he doesn't just say covet earnestly the best gifts. He says, and yet show I unto you a more excellent way. He says, he says for now, you know, basically he's saying for now, covet the best gifts, but he says, I'm going to show you something more excellent than that, than, than even these best gifts. And it's then in 1 Corinthians 13 that he begins to speak about charity or love. This is a passage that's often quoted at weddings. And, and you know, in the sense that it describes charity or, or love. It's agape would be the Greek word that's used there. Um, it could be fitting in that regard. But realize the context is not talking about love between a, a man and a woman. It's talking about love between believers. And that's what Paul's presenting as the more excellent way. And as he talks about that, I want you to skip down to verse 8. Because verse 8 and 9 and 10, uh, down, down through the end of chapter 13, show you, he's, he's saying this is the more excellent way, and he's going to tell you why it's the more excellent way. He says in verse 8, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 8, "...charity never faileth, but whether there be prophecies..." they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. Now, when he says whether there be prophecies, they shall fail, we have to, we have to understand in what sense he's saying this is going to fail. Um, does any prophecy from God fail to come to pass? The answer is no. Remember the, the standard in the Old Testament for a prophet was if what he said didn't come to pass, he was put to death right because it proved he was not a prophet of god he's not talking about just you know somebody somebody with the gift of prophecy prophesying from the lord and that not coming to pass what he's talking about is a a failure of the gift of prophecy saying there's going to come a time where that gift isn't even going to be functioning at all he says uh, charity never faileth there's never going to be a time where charity is going to cease to function but there is going to come a time when prophecies will fail. He says, whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Okay, so here's here's uh, another one of those gifts and, and one of them that we see in our commission there in Mark. That tongues, that, that gift is going to cease it's no longer going to be there as a sign and whether there be knowledge it shall vanish away and the knowledge here one of the one of the gifts that's mentioned in various passages is the gift of knowledge which would be a, a supernatural knowledge that God would impart think about when Ananias and Sapphira lied about the price of the property that they sold and Peter had supernatural knowledge to know that they had lied about it okay and and uh, so you see it says whether there be knowledge it shall vanish away. So so we start putting this together. Paul says, you know, covet covet those best gifts, but I'm going to show you a more excellent way. He tells you about charity, and then he says, Charity is never going to fail. These other things are going to fail. They're going to they're going to pass away. Uh, he says in verse nine, For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. Now, when he says we know in part and we prophesy in part, I mean certainly it's true of, of every individual, any individual believer, no matter how uh, you know well well trained and studied they are in the Word of God, individually they would say, We know in part. But he's talking here in, in the wider sense. When he says we know in part, it, it wasn't just that you know an individual subjectively didn't have a, a complete knowledge of the Word of God, it's that the word of God hadn't been fully revealed yet, right? There were still things being revealed. There was still scripture being written. And so you can say, we know in part and we prophesy in part. We know in part because it hasn't been revealed and we prophesy in part because, you know, the the prophecy is there to, to fill that gap. But he says, when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. Now, here's a verse that is often taken out of, out of context, and people treat it as if it's talking about the second coming of Christ. Now, that's convenient if you want to believe in all these various miraculous signs. Uh, It's convenient to believe that that's talking about the second coming of Christ because then you can have those things continue, you know, uh, until that time. But is Christ a that which or is Christ a he who? Who? Right. It doesn't say when he who is perfect has come. It says when that which is perfect has come. Now, the context here of of all these things is a, a partial knowledge, a partial knowing, partial revelation. And so if he's contrasting that knowledge which is in part, then the thing that, that's going to be perfect or complete is going to be a, a knowledge that's complete. He's talking here about the completion of the word of God. okay. And so he says, when that which is perfect has come, that which is in part shall be done away. Because if you have what's perfect and complete, you don't need the thing that's in part. When I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. And so the completed word of God would be something that would be an adult thing, where these signs, Paul describes them as being childish things. They're, you know, they're there at the beginning of the, of the body of Christ, beginning of the dispensation of grace, right? But there's something that are eventually going to pass away, and as that body of Christ comes to maturity through the completed revelation of God's Word, those things won't be necessary anymore. And he says, for now we see through a glass darkly, again, not being able to perfectly make out uh, all of those things. We see through a glass darkly, but then he says face to face, now I know in part, but then shall I know, even as also I am known. And now abideth faith, hope, charity, these three, but the greatest of these is charity. Now, again, that face to face in verse 12, it's not talking about at the second coming of Christ, being physically face to face with Christ. Uh, in fact, if you compare it over with, with uh passage in, in 2 Corinthians which was written you know very soon after 1 Corinthians there it talks about uh, how when you when you come to the word of God you're beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord and it says you're transformed into that same image from glory to glory you see when it's talking about face to face it's talking about coming to the word of God and it revealing the glory of the Lord. When you, when you come to the Word of God and you're believing and, and understanding these things that you're reading about the Lord and, and how the Word reveals the living Word of God, it's, you're dealing with Christ face to face. And, and you see, He says, then shall I know even as also I am known. And He says, now abideth. There's some things that are going to be done away, but the things that are going to abide are faith, hope, and charity, these three, but the greatest of these. Is charity now? This passage we're looking at here deals mostly with tongues, but these things all go together as a as a unit. I mean, he, he talked about the healings and and the miracles. In fact, um, uh, back there in chapter twelve, verse twenty-eight, uh, see tongues are at the very bottom of that list. Uh, miracles are are there after teachers, but those things all go together as a unit. And so again, you see this, this difference taking place. You have the, the commission in Mark, where they're told, go preach the gospel. Uh, he that believes and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe. But as you get past that midpoint of the book of Acts, as you get into Paul's epistles, you see it's no longer these signs shall follow them that believe. It's these things are about to pass away. Hi, I'm Richard Church, the teacher here on Verse by Verse. I'm glad you've listened to our podcast today, and I would like to let you know that if you have any questions about anything you've heard here, you can contact me by email at richard at richardchurch.com or by telephone 608-339-9522. I also encourage you to check out our church website at www.friendshipbiblechurch.com.